let me just open in a word of prayer and then I'll uh, move on to screen sharing. <clears throat> can you hear me clearly? Is this audible? If you can just wave your hands. Yeah, you can hear. Uh, we can hear you clearly. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, let's just open in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, I give you thanks for this uh, honor and the privilege and opportunity to share a few thoughts uh, on the thoughts of a very great man of God, a man who wrote the first part of your holy Bible, Moses. Father, I am unworthy to speak to your children, your servants, many of whom have served you with real hard work, sweat, labor, and tears. And in their presence, Lord, I ask that, Lord, you enable the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and my spirit to be pleasing in your sight. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a few uh, thoughts before I move into screen sharing. When Joseph Baya had asked me a few years, a few uh, weeks ago to speak uh, on one of the Psalms, I immediately thought of Psalm 90. For some reason, I had been reflecting a lot on Psalm 91, as I'm sure many of you have been doing. And uh, I very quickly realized uh, as I was preparing that this is a psalm of tremendous depth. It's a psalm of tremendous depth, but of tremendous economy of language and simplicity of expression. So whenever we see that combination of depth and simplicity of language, I know we have to be very careful because this is a person who is speaking with tremendous experience. He's a person of tremendous moral and spiritual authority. And we know from our uh, Bibles, and as Prerna beautifully read it, that this is a Psalm of Moses, as many of you probably know already. So without much ado, if uh, you will, I will begin my screen sharing and uh, you can follow along with me as I uh, share a few thoughts. Uh, the title I decided to give for this was that God has given us timely wisdom from our timeless God. Uh, Vio and Joseph and all of you are aware that we are living in perplexing times. We don't understand the times and the things that have been happening. Uh, many of us are weary. Many of us are probably thinking, you know, we were probably thinking about two months ago, okay, somehow we'll get through these 40 days of lockdown and then things will be back to normal. But no, it doesn't seem to have ended. It just seems to be going on and on and on. And so when I was reflecting on the psalm and I saw the combination of reality, philosophical reflection, a turning to God and tremendous force of Moses' writing in terms of moral character and uh, God's holiness, I realized that there was a lot of wisdom in this psalm. And this is practical applied knowledge that God has written for us in the Holy Bible. So let's begin by reading the first verse, the first two verses written by Moses. And Moses begins with a statement that can only have come from many, many years and decades of experience. He writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And what struck me first was that uh, for Moses, home was not a place. It was not a physical location. It was not even... He was not even talking about him feeling at home with the great things he had done, the wonderful uh, miracles, the wonderful confrontation, the powerful things he had experienced. But home, he was at home with a person and God is a person. And uh, he connects uh, 
the fact that God across all generations is actually our home. So on the face of it, it seems like a, a oxymoronic statement. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense because for example, for me, you know, many of us, I'm coming from a Keralite background. Many of us speak about the fact that, you know, when we go to Kerala, we enjoy the sound of Malayalam in the background. We like the smell of the coconut milk uh, as uh, the beautiful, as the, as the meals are being prepared. So we feel at home in a certain place. We feel at home with certain sounds. We, we, are, we feel at home with physical, tangible things. But here, Moses is saying that he feels at home with a person and this person is God. And it struck me that a lot of the things that we think, a lot of the things that we know, a lot of the people that we know, all can change at any time. And yet here, Moses is saying he is at home with a person who is beyond everlasting to everlasting. And when I was reflecting about the number of changes that we are seeing, especially in today's age, today's uh, world, I think we find change destabilizing. We can't handle it. We can handle a certain amount of change, but we can't handle too much change on all fronts of life. We need comfort. We need stability. And here Moses is saying that, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So it struck me that what Moses was communicating was that he was, regardless of his circumstances, he was able to maintain a mental and a personal stability by walking with the living God. And this is a thought that is not limited to the Old Testament. If you look in the New Testament, many of you know this verse that I have referred to at the bottom of your screen. And that is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It is very simply put. Even a child of two or three years old or 10 years old can understand it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we are people who like stability. We want predictability. We need security. We want to be at home. And when we find that the situation, the countries, the landscape, the thought processes of, of our world have completely changed, we are shaken in certain ways. And many of us are tired. Many of us are exhausted. We may not be physically exhausted. We are physically secure. Uh, the very fact that we can access a church service through the internet means we have internet access, we have at least a shelter, we have uh, electricity, and uh, we can connect through our knowledge. We want to connect with people, but all these things can change. So if you even stopped reading the psalm after verse one, you would understand that Moses was communicating tremendous amounts of wisdom. And this is a pattern we have seen, as many of you may have noticed in the Bible. In the olden times, ink and paper were very, very expensive. And even education, even the ability to express oneself was a marker of social distinction. So in the Bible, many times the first few verses, the first few sentences are chosen with a tremendous amount of care. We see that in Paul's writings. We see that in Proverbs chapter 1. Verses 1 to 7, Solomon basically lays out everything that he will communicate in those first seven verses. Uh, do I need to mention how powerful Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is? So in this one statement, 
in this one verse there is wisdom for life i would submit to you and this is a person who has seen life moses is one of the greatest persons in the entire bible he is a towering figure he has written the first five books of the bible he hasn't written it of his own imagination but god entrusted those words to him and so from that position of knowledge experience authority he is speaking lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations and as we move forward and as we try to think okay we can't completely understand what moses is saying but i think we can understand that we relate to god through jesus christ and god has not changed jesus is the same yesterday today and forever jesus understands the situations we are facing but are we drawing comfort for that from that walk with christ i know we are looking forward to technical developments in the world of vaccines i know we are looking at the news i know uh, different kinds of thoughts are passing through our minds we want to be able to connect with each other but i would submit to you that moses in very simple language is saying that home is not a place it's not what we can touch and feel but it is god himself so as we look for as we move forward in the psalm as we look at the next three verses we see a very clear reference in the first statement of verse 3 that he moses is making a reference to the fact that god is speaking in genesis chapter 3 verse 19 in which god says to adam uh, dust thou art and to dust thou shall return and then moses begins speaking about time and these are philosophical observations that can be very difficult to comprehend with our minds so i did a little bit of uh, calculation moses talks about 1000 years and if you multiply 1000 by 365 by so on and so forth by 24 and by 60 you get a very large number and that is nearly 87 lakhs 65000 hours that is a thousand years that's a number of hours in 1000 years then moses also says this is like 24 hours and then he also says this is like one watch in the night and one watch in the night is a military term used by the hebrews and the greeks and the romans so it is when at the city gates on the walls the soldiers had shifts they had to keep a watch for intruders for enemies and that could be anywhere from 3 to 4 hours and also in the new testament a simple fisherman mr peter whom we are all familiar with he says the same thing he says with the lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day and peter wrote this about 2000 years ago uh, sometime in the first century so if we if we want to be a little practical about translating this you will see that from the time peter wrote second peter chapter 3 verse 8 till today 2020 that's about about 2000 years but in god's eyes that's two days so for god time is not solid god can manipulate time god can make time like an instant he can stretch it out over centuries god is so powerful he is not beyond he is completely beyond time and he is also beyond space he's he's beyond mortality that's why uh, moses begins by saying you turn man back into dust and say return o children of men 
So God is this great person who is above time, above space. He is a great person, but we, we are very, very concerned about time. We are very concerned about time. We, we organize our lives around our schedules, around our Excel sheets. Uh, many of us are depending a lot on Amazon for home delivery. So certainly when we place orders, we are saying, where is the order? Where does it come? How much time more will it take before it comes to us? So we care about time. We are concerned about time. We are concerned about our physical uh, safety, our physical sustenance. But in these verses, Moses is not making abstract observations about time. He's using poetic language that even a child can understand. Towards the end, he says, in the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and uh, sprouts anew. He repeats himself. And towards evening, it fades and withers away. So on what basis is Moses making these big statements? What does he know about time? Who is he to speak about time? Has he been alive for a thousand years? He may have seen one or two generations. We can accept that. But what does he know about a thousand years? So let's just look into the background of this person. This person was born along the Nile and he was saved by a member of the Egyptian royal family. He was brought up in the education and the privileges of Egypt. And when he understood sometime in his early adulthood that he was actually an Israelite ethnically, but not Egyptian, he murdered an Egyptian. And then he begins a process of running away from Pharaoh and he's in the wilderness. 40 years, 40 years he's in the wilderness. He goes from the heights of elite Egyptian education, privileges and training and all the luxuries that Egypt and the knowledge that it can afford. And he goes down to taking care of sheep and he has an interracial marriage with a woman from Midian. 40 years. That's a long period of time. No one to talk to. No one to interact with. Out in the desert taking care of sheep. 40 years. And then suddenly God calls him from the burning bush. And he has to confront Pharaoh. He does wonderful signs, miracles, wonders. And enables his people to be taken out of Egypt. 40 more years. Six million people, not six million people who are easy to lead, six million very difficult people. Finally, he comes to the edge of the promised land. He gets the law and then he himself can't enter the promised land. So this guy has seen a little bit of life. That's what I'll submit to you. He has seen a little bit of life. And so with that, we see that Moses is going to make some very strong statements in the next section based on a lot of his experiences. If you thought, okay, Anil, very interesting philosophical statements. No problem. We are at home with God. God is above time. Let me take you forward into the heart of this psalm. And that's found in the next few verses in which I believe uh, as we notice verses 7 to 12, there's a change in the tone that Moses is using to write. It's almost as if he starts increasing his voice. He changes his tone. The tone becomes very, very sharp. He's talking about God's anger, God's wrath. And then there's a very strong statement in verse 8. And I, I really liked how Prerna read that from the New King James Version. And let me read from the translation that I'm using. You may have a 
preference of your own. Uh, I believe these verses are the heart of what Moses is trying to communicate. He says, for we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. How does Moses say this? How does he know this? How does he make such statements? If you remember what happened at Mount Sinai, he had gone up to the mountain, he was fasting and praying and God gave him the law. He comes down from the mountain and finds that the Israelites are back to idol worship. And not just that, his brother has become the ringleader. He has melted all the gold and silver. They made a golden calf and they start engaging in idol worship. So Moses is absolutely angry. He punishes the people and then goes back up the mountain. Another 40 days of fasting and praying. And there Moses, if you remember what he prays in the book of Exodus, he says, Lord, blot out my name from your book of life, but for the sake of the prestige of your name and your people, please overlook the offense that these people have committed. So Moses understands something about God, God's character. And uh, in verse 8, what Moses is saying is that you know our iniquities, you know our secret sins. So Moses had a real respect for a real God. I think that's why there's a complete shift in the way he is writing these statements. And this is the heart of the passage. This is the heart of what I think uh, goes from the Psalms in maybe six, uh, a thousand BC or so. And then it communicates to us nearly 2000, 3000 years later. Our main problem is that we don't actually respect God. I think, I think that's our real problem. We don't actually have a reverence from God for God. So if you look at uh, verses uh, 9 and 10, Moses writes, and he's speaking to modern people like us. He says, all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, yeah, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. Soon it is gone and we fly away. You almost get the impression that Moses is speaking to human beings as if there's an expiry date on a product on the shelf. That we're going to expire after it has to be thrown away. And he's saying that, yes, men and women work very hard. But their pride is only labor and sorrow. And many times, I'm sure all of us, you know, we are working hard to improve our life and Certainly when I'm looking at social media, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn, I see a lot of us congratulating ourselves directly and indirectly. You know, you see that a lot on LinkedIn, you see that a lot on Facebook, you see that a lot on the social media. People are congratulating themselves. This has been achieved, that has been achieved. And Moses gets to the heart of this in which he says God is concerned about secret sins. Many years ago, I still remember, uh, I was traveling by train from Kerala to Delhi. I was, uh, during my college years, I did not have much biblical knowledge. And uh, for some reason, I turned to Psalm 90 and 91. And I still remember I circled these phrases. I don't know why I did it, but even in my youth at that time, I understood that there was something very, you know, laser-like precise about these statements. So the God who is above mountains, who is above generations, for some reason, he's concerned about people deceiving themselves. That's why he's using the phrase, 
secret sins secret sins and uh, this is a matter i think we can take advantage of you know bio was sharing about john lennox he was saying that uh, i have not read that book uh, he was saying that mr lennox professor lennox is saying that pain prepares us for what's ahead but pain and character are closely interconnected so i think in this time of a pandemic we do well to take some time to reflect on what's happening inside our hearts because that's basically the constructive suggestion that moses has for us next he's anticipating our questions he's saying to us i know we are thinking in our hearts okay so what so what what are we going to do about this we are helpless but moses is also a practical man and i think that's why he says in very simple language so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom a heart of wisdom how do we number our days let's ask god to teach us he is not talking only about time management making schedules making goals making priorities he is basically saying that time is limited and there is this god who is above time who is watching the human heart he is watching the human heart and i think even old testament leaders understood this truth so one of my favorite verses in the old testament is ezra chapter 7 verse 10 and i have pulled it up on the screen for your convenience uh it says ezra had set his heart to study the law of the lord and to practice it do you think it is surprising that ezra understood that a heart of wisdom requires a setting of the heart that only after we set our heart can we apply things into our mind so there is a connection between our heart and our mind in the biblical understanding of true wisdom and only then can we do it and then preach it and then teach it so this is how we have to seek a heart of wisdom because time is limited time is limited uh, all of this can seem very overwhelming it's very grave it's very serious heavy philosophical uh, hard to penetrate hard to penetrate so sometimes uh, you know we get overwhelmed by what we see around us and we don't know what to do and this is again where i believe moses has a lot of wisdom for us and i want to conclude my thoughts on the last section of psalm 90 by saying that uh, moses was also very realistic he knew that life could be very frustrating he knew life could be tough but he also wanted joy look at the beautiful way in which he is asking god for help he is begging god for help he knows he see he knows god is both very moral but also god is very compassionate he knows god that's why if you if you if you just focus on verse 1 you will get a lot automatically it may not be in the many many words that we see here but he understood that god is someone we can be home with we can bring our weaknesses our frustrations our desires to him and we can actually beg him for help so look at how uh, moses is praying verses 13 to 15 do return o lord how long will it be he is also getting tired he's he's tired and be sorry for your servants oh satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years in which we have seen evil 
So one thing I find uh, very uh, realistic about the scriptures is that they're very realistic. They actually tell us the truth. They, they don't say, you know, you should ignore what you see. They don't try to sugarcoat things. Life is frustrating. But whom do we turn to? Whom do we turn to? And how do we turn to God? We turn to God in prayer. And we also accept the fact that work keeps continuing. We have the uh, obligation to keep working. You know, look at verse 16 and the beautiful conclusion in verse 17. In verse 16, Moses writes, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. So he really wants God to bless our work. And in this beautiful conclusion of this beautiful psalm, Moses gives us fantastic prayer advice. Fantastic prayer advice. He says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. We need God's favor. We need God's favor. We badly need him to be favorable to us. And I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe as we go to the cross, we have God's favor. Uh, a favorite verse of mine in the New Testament is Colossians 2, 2 and 3. You can refer to this later. But basically, Paul says to the Colossians that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, as we, as we sing that beautiful song, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, our hope is found. He is our joy, our strength, our song. This cornerstone, this polished ground, firm through the fiercest wrath and storms. So when we have the name of Jesus, we can pray entering God's courtroom on the basis of the blood of Christ and ask for God's favor. And that's connected to our work, isn't it? Look at how uh, Moses concludes. He says, confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm for us the work of our hands. We have a lot of work to do, isn't it? Whether we're employed, unemployed, we have to work. But I think what Moses understood was that beyond the what of the things around us, the when of the times we're in, Moses understood that there's a God who is the who who is above all these things. And we need this very powerful person's favor. And we want our work to succeed. We don't want our work to be wasted. So even in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, Solomon writes, he has set eternity in the hearts of men. That's connected to Genesis 1.27 where Moses, I believe, writes, uh, he made man in his own image, male and female, he made them in his image. So we have the image of God. We want to do our work. We want our work to succeed and have a certain uh, level of success, prosperity and permanence. And I believe as we turn to God, as we really ask God for change, for uh, reflection on our inner character, as we repent, as we genuinely develop a heart of wisdom and genuinely turn to God in worship, we will see that favor upon us. We will see that favor. We will see unusual things happening because this God who is above the mountains, above the seas, you know, uh, Moses does not mention any of the great things he has done. He doesn't talk about that. He talks about the greatness of God. And I believe as we look to God vertically, we will see horizontally, he will take care of us. And I just want to conclude with a short word of prayer and I'll hand the uh, service back over to the service leaders. But let me just pray as uh, God leads.
Father, I thank you for your heavenly wisdom in the holy word. Lord, the simplicity of this great man's words are beyond our intellectual abilities. Would, would you teach us to beg you for wisdom? Help us understand that our time is limited and we are accountable to you. And you have given us the treasures of knowledge and wisdom and understanding in Christ and in Christ alone. I ask you to bless us that your word would have 30, 60, and 100-fold measure of blessing and harvest. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.